Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckeristas? What the fucksters? How is everybody? This is WTF. I am Mark Marin. We're about a week or so into the new year. I'm excited and apprehensive about the uh, conversation I had today with uh, with Jacob Dillon, the uh, the scion of the uh, of the Dillon name. Now, look, I I got I loved the first Wallflowers album. I love this uh, this new album. Uh, I was surprised, you know. I it's got to be a tough racket to uh, to be uh, the the offspring of of. Uh, one of the uh, music's modern myths, and uh, I, I was nervous and uh, a little uh, apprehensive about talking to Jacob. Look, I've got my own daddy issues, and 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 we've talked about it on this show uh, ad infinitum. I'm still dealing with them now, for fuck's sake. I'm back in therapy in some context, and uh, here I thought that you know I had reckoned with the with the beast uh, within me that is my father, but it it it. it shows its horns sometimes and it's a very awkward situation to be in where where you have a father that uh, represents something damaging to you and uh you spend your life uh, realizing at certain points where it's like oh my god i I better get off of this road i better get onto a dirt road that i can maybe put my fucking name on with all due respect to jay moore that uh that you 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 know to call my own and, and get away from this fucking thing this 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 thing that is my father and and his trajectory his you know genetic inevitability that is coursing through every cell of my fucking body and then uh, you think you, you you think you got a handle on it like all right i got him him at arm's length we got an understanding him and i you know i got the i got the old lady there too my mom and you know we're okay you know i'm a grown man i've let it go can't blame them forever and then one night in a fit of rage you know, you're just wreaking havoc on your love life, on your relationship, on everything around you. And you realize, oh, my God, that's that guy. That's the guy that made me. He was he was speaking through me. How do I exercise this fucker from my being? It's an ongoing struggle. Depending on how powerful that beast is, you, <laughs> you better you better watch it, because if it's a potent beast that uh that 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 spewed you from their loins then do not underestimate the power of that fuck having uh having sort of rippling effect through many generations of 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 your family that said i love him ah, i guess you could call it that you know you try to find the good things but okay i'm i'm getting off the point the point is you know when i got the opportunity to interview jacob uh yeah there was part of me that's like well I, I i know that you know he's his own guy and i i know that uh that that has to be somewhat of a struggle because god knows uh you know anybody who who has had a relationship uh with with bob dylan through his music you know which i have in my life at different points in my life and i think people older than me have had that more so how are you going to be able to separate them and I was concerned for myself in the conversation. And I, I said, I don't know if I can do this this interview if he if he won't talk about him. You know, I'm not gonna hammer it. 
But I mean, you know, I'm curious. I mean, how could I not be curious? I know he's got his own thing and and I like his thing. I fucking, I like the Waffleowers. But I mean, I'm going to have to ask. So I was struggling and uh, and word got back to me that he was willing to uh, to address it. And obviously he knows how he addresses it. But but I did feel like I got a little annoying. Uh, I did feel like no, despite my uh, my good intentions to to try to. To keep it focused on him, I, you, I wanted to have a broader conversation, and I was respectful. But, but I, I've, I've thought about this interview a lot. Uh, in retrospect, he doesn't uh, play any songs, but we do have a pretty uh, engaging conversation, and I think it was uh, very revealing. And I think, uh, and I, and I like the guy. I mean, you know, he showed up. I was waiting for him, and he just showed up by himself, wearing a hoodie. And he goes, "You, Mark?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Hey, Jacob." And I'm like, "All right." Let's do it, and uh, and I like the guy. Uh, we we had a good chat, and it was he had a, he has a real edge to him. And uh, you know, I don't want to say it's a little bit like his old man, but you guys will be the judge of that. Uh, and this this is for fathers everywhere. This is for everybody. <laughs> this episode, but look, I want to also say that uh, my buddy, a uh, friend of mine from New York, Daryl Lennox, very interesting comedian. Uh, who's got an interesting story, uh, is, has a special running on stars. If you get that network, I, you know, I would, uh, I would TiVo or DVR uh, Daryl Lennox's uh, Blind Ambition and check that out. He'll be a future guest on WTF. And uh, without saying anything more, I'm going to re-listen to this as you re-listen to it. Uh, this is me and, uh, and Jacob Dillon uh, and me, I, I, I want to give you a little subtext, trying desperately to avoid bringing up his father too much. You want to get on the mic? Yeah. You want to put headphones on? I don't think so. <laughs> Unless you're going to be throwing sound effects at me or something. Uh, no, there's of. no uh, there's no drum roll. Are we just going to go for it or just get started? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know how else to do it. Do you? I know other people do it. They and make a big... They make a countdown, a big deal. But let's just. Oh, in the studio right now. Exactly. We'll be right back. (laughs) Jacob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, So you're eyeballing my guitar. I like all your guitars. You got a K. I like that. Yeah, that thing sounds like uh, I bought that for eighty bucks at a guitar store in uh, New York, and uh, I I'm. It's only you can only play shitty blues on that guitar. That's all that's allowed. Yeah, that's uh, that's all. That's what that's for. Yeah, that's what that sound entails. Now I got this J forty five over here that's new. I saw that. Yeah, I like those. What do you play? I play J forty fives. I like those too. The K's. They used to be. Um, you could find them anywhere, like you did for yeah. that price. But just like anything, they've you know they've they've gone up. Have they? Yeah. They're why? Because they're collectors. Those items? are cool. Yeah. 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 But I mean, are they practical to play? I mean, would you play it on a record? You sure could. Yeah. I mean, you know, you had some of them you got to fix up, but they're yeah, they're quirky. They're great. What do you? Uh, so the new record. You know, let's not talk about that. Yet, yeah, let's hold off. <laughs> do, do you live like where do you live in Melbourne? Do you live in the compound that I've seen in pictures the of? Yeah, no, I have my own house. Okay. Is that what you mean? I've, I'm a grown man. I have my own house. <laughs> Look, I can't. There's no way I'm not going to drop those things occasionally. So you can just shut me down. That's fine. You say, you know, I can only control what comes out of my mouth. I can't control what you say. So you can That's try. The general rule. I'm a polite guy. You yeah. can say, you know, shut the fuck up. I actually, uh, the first time I heard of you. I don't know if you remember this or this is bad baggage or whatever. 
I lived with uh, Pete Berg briefly. Oh, yeah. You remember Pete Berg? Uh, yeah, I know Pete, yeah. Yeah, and I just remember there was this period, like it was probably six months right when I moved to L.A. What was that, like in the late 80s or something, where he was, uh, you guys were jamming and stuff, where he was just learning how to play guitar or something? Yeah, I taught him how to play a little guitar, and he taught me how to drive a stick shift. So that was the, oh, good. He wasn't lying. Yeah. As, no, if, no. as if that story would advance his career in any way. It's true. No, like, I just remember living with him and you know, briefly for like three or four months, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go over to, to Jacob Dylan's house, and and uh, he's going to show me how to play guitar. So we get validation <laughs> on that. Did he ever, he must have gotten good at this point. It's been a long time later. Can you play? I, I honestly have not talked to him in uh, in probably 20 years, really. You know, yeah. but I, he just came up the other night. I was talking to a friend of mine who knows him. and I, I just thought of him yesterday, a couple days ago, that movie Copland was on yeah that must have been around that time that you knew him you were hanging out no it was earlier, that earlier than that? That? i mean when, when i knew him i think he was thinking about doing a documentary on prince oh. like i it was like uh weird uh, we were so much younger and you know when people come to hollywood it's like they got big ideas yeah and you don't know they don't know where they're going to end up but i yeah i always got the sense he knew he was going to be something and he did just fine for himself didn't it he? seems like it. yeah he did just well but just you fine. must have been like at that time like sort of a kid when did you start playing uh, I start well. I was playing, you know. I, uh, I'm going to go back to that. Peter, he drove me. He taught me how to drive a stick shift. I must have been 16. Yeah. Um, well, how did that come up? You, that was the trade-off. I gonna, how'd you meet um, Pete Berg? Well, by the way, I completely destroyed the car too. <laughs> what kind of car was it? Uh, I can tell you, it was a Bronco too. Remember those? Yeah. They appeared to be like Broncos, like big cars. Yeah. But years later, you figured out they were more like um, those old Samurais or something. They were actually really small cars. Right, right, right. You thought they were like convenient Broncos. They were right. Mini they, cars. That they could take a hit, but they yeah, didn't. No, they, no. No. no, they couldn't. And um, no, I remember I wasn't told that uh, you couldn't drive with the clutch in the whole time. That seemed, It seemed to be that I was supposed to know that. So when the car started... Bouncing. Bouncing and <laughs> smoke was pouring out of it. Apparently, that was my fault, <laughs> which it was. Um, but no, I've been playing before that. That was right around the time that I was starting bands, though. If yeah, that's, if that's right, if I was sixteen, were the uh, were the guys in the Wallflowers? Uh, the, or any of them remain from that? I mean, were they originally the? No, the people? longest guy with me, Rami, playing keyboards. He's been there since about, I guess, probably eighty nine, ninety. Yeah, and this new record is a, like a return of the Wallflowers. Yeah, it is. I mean, the th the three of us who've been there since people have been listening, we're there. Um, yeah, I and mean, there's two different guys who are Stewart, our guitar player, has been touring with us for seven, eight years. We just hadn't made a record, and then we have a new drummer, Jack Irons, who conveniently for us became available but like the 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 women in country record is really a country record kind well of. yeah i guess you know thematically it's it's dusty yeah i guess you could say you know it doesn't it i don't know that it has a country licks and the riffs well um, no but i mean the the heart of it is is definitely yeah, in that um, groove yeah it's more of a you know uh traditional american record i suppose um which was intentional yeah you know and in this one you got you know fucking mick jones singing right? with you i mean we're, not we're so just, bad yeah i mean we're like i'm listening to it i'm like and it's and those songs you did with him sort they kind of have that clash drive a little bit or at least big audio dynamite i mean what was that a homage i mean was this a big deal for you uh well you know i've talked about them playing they're obviously a big influence and i just seen him play with big, big, big audio dynamite yeah. earlier that year i don't know if you got to go to that but uh -uh. it was one of the best shows i've seen in 20 years really at the rocks you still yeah. go to a lot of live music i go to mick jones shows whenever he comes to sure town. <laughs> i really have i see all his projects <laughs> yeah. yeah he'll get me out of my house yeah um because i'm fascinated with his you know not just him as a as an artist but his as a guitar player his tone it, it just was stunning that he was playing a completely different rig than he used to play and what was uh, the old rig well he used to play stratocasters and les pauls and um he used to have uh 
it's an identifiable sound that I recall from growing up in those early records. But my son recently is playing a completely different rig and it sounded the same, which is a real testament to when people say, does that guy have good tone? And what's his tone like about a guitar player? Yeah. It really is the fingers. You really? Know, like, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can distort it do whatever you want to it but it really there's something about people's fingers and their how they address the instrument that really truly defines their tone it took me a long time to realize that uh, that tone is really what um uh kind of separates great guitar players from good guitar players like i because you listen like at some point you realize like well not everyone's going to play like uh ingway momstein or whatever the hell that guy's name is that you right. know that you're not going to have this weird proficiency uh like of noodling but right. but it's how you own your fucking sound is what makes a difference yeah, we well, it's not. It shouldn't be too hard of us for us to learn that lesson that, that musicianship is is important, but technique and all that is far more important. Chemistry. Yeah, you know, well, musicianship's important, but I mean, yeah, it's it's a great enhancement if you've got the other goods yeah. <laughs> to know what you're doing, right? But that alone isn't going to wow anybody. But if you know you your know. sound, like if you find it, you know, like vocally and otherwise, I mean, you sound like you don't sound like anybody. I hope not at this point. <laughs> That'd be good news, you know? So what were the first, like, when you were uh, a kid, like, what were the bands that you were listening to? What defined you as a, a musical guy? Now, you know, we can't, I'm not going to, I can't distract from the fact that the elephant in the room was your dad, but I mean, you must have had some opportunity at, when you were a kid at least to play some pretty good fucking guitars. Uh, that what, I mean, like, what were, my, what were my first guitars? Did I have good ones? Well, they were just laying around. How come I picture that there was just like... Well, that's true, but, uh, you know... In all reality, he he was he's never been a gear collector like that. I mean, there was real nice guitars around, and there were yeah. little crappy guitars. I didn't really make it. Didn't really. Oh, make really? There yeah, wasn't like in, a guitar the, room. No, n none were. And I, I'm the same way. I don't treat any of my guitars better than the next one. I mean, they they tell stories, and that's what's important about them. And that guitar, that guitar you're talking about right there could be infinitely valuable because it it projects something really important, whether it's worth uh, you know five hundred dollars or. Yeah, I, you know, 10, I, I, I can feel that. I mean, some guitars I can't handle. I mean, I, I had an SG briefly, but it was not. Uh, it was too much for me. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Cool, <laughs> old guitars are cool. There's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Expensive ones can be cool too. But no, they were the instruments were never precious around my house growing up. They were they were there if you wanted to use them. And if you didn't, you know, you could bump into them. Was, yeah, know, yeah, just matter. Knock them over. No one was going to freak out. No, not really. No. What was the first guitar? My first guitar. Uh, well, I was lucky in that way. I had an old Telecaster to start with. Not too bad, right? Oh, from the 50s, 60s? Yeah, I did. Um, Where'd that I, come from? Um, I was a gift. I was given to me. Yeah. You know, and, you know, unfortunately, the story doesn't have a great ending, and it was stolen from me. Oh, fuck. Where? Yeah. You know, right out of my... I was uh, living in my mother's guest house when I was 18. Yeah. And it just someone came by and... Yeah, and it's me. one of those things <clears throat> where I think I know who did it. It was but a party you, situation. Someone knew you had it. Well, people used to come over all the time. I think that uh, somebody eyeballed it, and I think I knew who it was, who I think had recreational habits and problems. Uh -huh. That was true. Yeah. Uh, and it was personal because they took my leather jacket, too. Oh, fuck the jacket. And that's like really personal to a guy, isn't it? Yeah, His guitar sure. and his jacket. There's yeah. tons of other stuff to take. They, they like took your whole, half your being. They kind of like, they took the, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they came for the guitar and on the way out went, oh, that's a great jacket, too. I'll take that. But those are like the two most important things to really, uh, I know. Take a anything rock else. and roll person. Take <laughs> anything else. The jacket and the axe. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was one of those things where I, you could never, the accusation just would, you know, if, if it wasn't right, it would have just been awful. So, so you just let it go? And now and you just. Yeah, I reported it. I still think I'll see it. There's only so many of those guitars around. I'll see it. I got the serial number still. Have you got uh, Have you got the word out that that guitar has been missing for 20 years? It's been like 20, long time now. Yeah, I don't know. I'll find it though. Did, did you go look for it? No, but there's only so many of them. Right. I'll see it. Yeah. I don't know. 
and then wonder. And then I'll have to pay like a ridiculous amount of money to have my guitar back. Uh, but it'd be good if the guy had the story, you know? Of yeah, we trade. Yeah. He gives me the guitar, I'll give him the story. Right. right? So uh, what about that dude who you think took it? You ever see him around? No. Uh-huh. No. Maybe one day that'll happen too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. That could happen too. <laughs> so it was a telly. Yeah. And what were you playing at the beginning? That's what I played. I like telecasters. What um, music? Oh, what music? You know, I grew up in the early 80s out here, and I was, uh, you know, I was, there was always great music around, and I was lucky that I knew that the stuff that was currently on the radio was, as much as that's what I was receiving constantly, I, I also was aware of people like Lightning Hopkins and Hank Williams and Chuck Berry, which wasn't necessarily present or hip in 1982. Right, it was important, though, yeah. Yeah, it was always around, so I didn't differentiate any of that stuff, but, um, you know, I listened, to, you know, I liked a lot of the English rock groups when I was growing up what uh, like 60 stuff or the punk stuff you know there was a lot of those groups like the buzzcocks and yeah yeah the jam, yeah, yeah. good know? drive yeah that stuff's still great you know i mean it yeah. was, that was current music in 1981 two, three. yeah still great you know yeah it's awesome yeah a lot of it i just i just started listening to records again i bought a tube amp you know oh, cool that, that's my midlife crisis what'd you get i d couldn't afford a macintosh oh that's I, the, yeah do you have a you can get the macintosh book have you seen that no there's a great picture book oh really yeah i mean it's <laughs> you like just look at the amps yeah because I'm with you on that. I got something else. I wouldn't mind a real Macintosh. I got a Rogue Audio. Oh, yeah. They're made in Pennsylvania. And I just started listening to my records. Now I'm buying records again. I'm picking What's, up. What turntable you got? I don't have a good turntable. Oh. Do I need one? What's uh, your thought yeah. on that? You know, the, you know, I'll tell you what I've got. is called a Riga. R-E-G-A. That's a great entry. Uh, write that down. Because that's a ridiculous hobby if you start chasing that. It's you'll a fucking just, rabbit hole. You'll be selling your house and you'll be done. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But yeah. I'm already like- That's a, the one. It's like four hundred bucks, five hundred bucks. Somewhere in there. Is that the one that just like has nothing but a yeah, table? Like this is the problem with that fucking gear, man. Is that you spend this bread and then you're listening to it and you're like, God, this just sounds really good. But I wonder if it could sound. Well, then you just you'll never be done. I mean, then you're like, well, this sounds really great and all, but are my walls right? Do I need to put some foam over here to make sure that that's really doing what it's supposed to do? And then you start getting into like, well, my cables. I don't know if I have the right cable. My cables are on the floor. You can't have your cables touch the floor. You know that if you're no, really I, if you're really a freak, you can't have your cables on the floor. But do you have you are you that way? No, I don't. I don't care. Do you know? Do you know cats like that though? Yeah, I do. And uh, when you sit and listen to their shit, does it sound significantly better? Uh, not, you know, not to me really. <laughs> Good. I mean, I like it and I think the whole thing is, it's a, it's worthwhile if you got the bread for it and you're interested, but I just want to hear the music at some point. Like, I don't really care if it's, it it definitely sounds different, know. right? Yeah. It sounds great, but I'll listen to a CD and MP3 too. I, I mean, I do care, but it's not always convenient to be in your room with your record player, you know? Right. But some of those blues records, like some of the, uh, like I've got, a. Hoodoo Man Blues by Buddy Guy, Junior mm -hmm. Wells, and like some of the separation on those things when it was just a few yeah. guys. It's great. Yeah. Like it sounds like they're right fucking there in the room. Oh, you know when you're listening to it in the medium that they've performed it and you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the like some of the greatest records ever sound like shit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're not some of the greatest records ever. Well, what do you mean on the MP in the MP3s or the when, No, when even on the record. Yeah. I mean, like, it's okay. Oh, yeah. It has to do with pressing. Well, you've seen the old studios what they had. I mean, it's just like scientists. They just had a couple big knobs, and that's all they were. I mean, that was, right. That it was all, right. all the equipment was good. There wasn't a ton of it. Yeah. So when you record, do you record on analog now? You know, I hope to. We try to, usually. Yeah. Um, but it's not always convenient. And I'm not one of those guys who's going to, you know, has to be taping there. I mean, 
I'm just into does it sound good. I don't really care what cable comes between this and that. Sure. I'm not going to get hung up on that. I just People got to play music. They still got to perform. They can't. You know, you get bands in there with all that, with the tape and no Pro Tools, and they make a big noise about that they're doing. But the band sucks, so it doesn't really matter. Right. You still have to be good. People forget that equipment's not going to solve that for you. Yeah, because, like, I'm hung up on this thing now where I think, uh, like, you know, when I was a kid and I was listening to records, I guess he was probably, how old are you? 40-something? Yeah, something. <laughs> What? I just got a 40-something here last week. Oh, good. Well, happy yeah, birthday. 40, 43. 43. I'm 49, so I don't know. Like, And you seem to have some of the same taste in music I did, which is not relative to our age, but Chuck Berry and the blues. I mean, I got a picture of Muddy up there. I got Howlin' Wolf over there. Yeah. I got Chuck right there. Chuck was important. Buddy Holly was important. I don't know how I came about that shit. I think my old man had an A-track, and I was lucky. Yeah. How'd you come over it? Uh, Well... You know, the artist I liked always, I mean, that's what I was, I was tuned into who I was listening to. I'd, I'd read their interviews and listen to what they had to say. You right. Know? And, you know, I knew there was, you know, there's a great photo of The Clash playing in, in 70, maybe 79. It says Lee Dorsey on the marquee. So right. I want to know who that was. Right. So you got to listen you know? to some big band shit? Yeah. They, well, yeah, they, 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 they would, they took out, uh, they take out, they took out, um, they took out Bo Diddley at some point, which is like they were a punk band for crying out loud, and like so that that was a lesson to everybody. Bo Diddley was punk too. Yeah, man. that was their way of. Uh, they, that's how I learned. Yeah, uh, it was one of the ways I learned. I must know? threw up on Bo Diddley once. Well, I'm for both of us glad you didn't. <laughs> how did that almost happen? I don't know, man. I was at the. You were drunk or you were excited? Which I was one? drunk. Yeah, I was supposed to meet a friend at the Lone Star in New York, and Bo Diddley was playing, and my friend didn't show up, and I was sitting at the bar, and Bo was sitting next to me, and I think at the time. I grew up in New Mexico, and I think he was a sheriff. He was a sheriff briefly in New Mexico. Yeah. I got to talking to him, and I just felt it coming over me, and <laughs> kind of bolt out and jump in a cab and throw up in the cab. Good story, Jeez, right? Yeah. You got any good stories like that? Jim? I have never almost thrown up. Well, let me come back. This, if I no, I don't think I've ever almost thrown up on anybody. <laughs> Not that I can remember. So, in terms of uh, the like the the country record, like you've got you had an opportunity to work with these great guys, you know, both musicians and producers. Uh, like Ruben and Burnett, and uh, you did two albums with T Bone, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what what is it like? Because I never quite understand it. Because I'm not a professional musician; I'm a garage musician, which means specifically I play in here. Occasionally, mm -hmm. I'll play outside with people. But uh, what is a when you work with someone like T Bone Burnett, who's like this dude who whose job in life seems to be a curator of of American music sound? What what do you do? How does that influence you? How do you work with a guy like that? What are the conversations that are had about sound? Uh, well, I mean, T-Bone specifically, I, I gotta, I've got worked with him a few times, not just on those records, but in between records. And How'd that relationship you know, happen? You know, I've actually known T-Bone, I, I mean, probably since 1975 or so, when he was he toured in Rolling Thunder, and I was a kid on those on those tours, and he was around. So I've known him my whole life, but I started, the band worked with him, and we made, made Bring It On The Horse, um, we're looking for a producer, and he already done really well. We just—I hadn't seen him many years at that point. We just sent songs like everybody else does, and he liked the songs, and we ended up making that record. And we've certainly stayed connected since then. But um, you know, in a, in a real simple sense, you know, if you're if you're someone like myself who's making those the record that I made with him, Women in Country, uh, you know, they just they just give you a he'll give you a platform, you know, a space where you can do that thing, and and takes away a lot of the, the concerns and pressures that you might have of directing or producing, which I don't really have much. I mean, I, I would, I could pr produce other people, but when making, when making your own record, I think it's good to have as many good ears around as possible. 
But you weren't necessarily, you, you obviously were looking for that quality because he brings a very specific quality, something that's going to plant you in American music in a very sort of almost Yeah, he's, I mean, way. he could do anything, yeah. I suppose. You know, I mean, the, the record we made with him, well, he does that now. And that's kind of what people are saying. That's where he's kind of made his, his uh, most present mark is with that Americana sound. Yeah. I guess starting with that Raising Sand, the Alison Krauss, Robert Plant record. Or the, the, or the oh, brother, yeah. Where Art Thou yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, but he could do anything. I think that's kind of what maybe people come to him now for. And you know, for a lot of those, a lot of the veteran artists he works with, he makes it very, very easy for them because he provides. A lot of people have had a really difficult time, especially if they're older. They've made lots of records and they've been kicked around studios as they try to reinvent themselves. By the time they come to T Bone, you know, they've been making records for forty years. He's a, he's a salvation yeah, because yeah, he just kind me. of he's, yeah. They're just can someone please <laughs> just come in here and just not make this a drag anymore and right. make it sound great and not. You know, not make this horrendous experience. So That's, I think, and Ruben's the same way. He's sort of this salvation guy too, or someone who who is who has reached such a status where he'll reach out to people and say, like, I, I, we need to make something pure for you. You know, like uh, like the Johnny Cash records, or I mean, he yeah. even did it with uh, ZZ Top and ACDC. That he's got some a reverence for certain people and music that he wants to return back to their original sound yeah i have mixed feelings about that i don't know that that's always a good idea yeah why? You know, well <clears throat> you know i don't i mean i don't think you can take everybody and strip it back to bare bones and have it be effective some people need that sound around them you know even if their original sort of uh thing was bare bones i mean even when well, neil diamond wasn't bare bones i mean his his right, his never. famous work was like masterpieces of orchestration and right you know, they were. Right. It was like Broadway, right? So you could say, yeah, he started out in New York City with the guitar, playing folk songs. But, but that's how people know him, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. His sound, the Neil Diamond sound, was a very dramatic. Yeah, and when people go to those shows, that's what they want to hear. They don't sure. really want to hear the bare bones. No. I imagine. I mean, if I'm, if you're asking me, that's what I think. I yeah, mean, there'd be a lot of upset so, uh, eighty-year-old Jewish yeah. women. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that that approach works with everybody. I don't know that everybody wants to look backwards all the time either. You know, I mean, that's. Yeah, not everybody loves those Johnny Cash records either. You know, that's well, if you're some, listening to Johnny Cash, those don't sound like Johnny Cash to everybody. Well, they sound like a, a fragile, sort of raw, uh, you know, honest Johnny Cash in a way that he'd never been heard before. I mean, I think those albums, at least a couple of them, were kind of yeah. kind of haunting. They, you know, they're haunting. It's a little bit sounds to me like he's, you know, what's important is he. I guess he felt good what he was doing, but they, it feels there's a, a certain amount of feeling that he's. I feel like he's being taken advantage of those records. Oh really? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Huh? You know, because what is really what people really respond to is how fragile it is, right? And is that way? Is that what he did? He want to be so exposed and so fragile that people would just start to feel bad just when he started singing? Well, I don't, I don't know. know. If that, do you feel bad or do you feel like this is an honest representation of an artist who is at that age where you know he's he's definitely looking down the pipe? You know, you know, death is imminent. And yeah. you know, like whatever's so going. So give him a Soundgarden song to sing, and it just like it just moves people so much. I didn't. I'm one of the guys who can say I didn't totally get it. But but the, you got to admit though. Let's let's. Can we admit that the the Nine Inch Nails song was pretty fucking good? That's yeah. I think it's all good. I just don't know what the association is to like <laughs> Johnny the great Cash. Johnny Cash that was a yeah. giant. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. Uh, you know, the spirit of him was a giant. And I, I, I was able to be around Johnny Cash when he was very much together, and, and it was very powerful. I'm Wait, a, how old were you? I mean, like... Teenager. I'd been around him yeah. a handful of times. Yeah, because he had a relationship with your dad, and he was around? So actually, we were good friends with my mother. Yeah? Yeah, and... um, Yeah, I mean, he was a powerful character. So when I heard those those records, I, I you know, to me, it, it, I didn't really totally understand the connection of taking somebody who was clearly grasping and feeling 
the need to be singing and that was what was important to him and I don't know like I could you know so why is he singing a Glenn Danzig song a guy who comes with bat wings and and, and expresses really demonic dark things why are we going to the juxtaposition I suppose of putting that into Johnny Cash's lap must sound really interesting to some people but it sounds like a sounds like a card trick to me right well to you who had uh, you know sort of young and, and emotional relationship with a guy who you know with in an the artist music, at the, music yeah, most importantly right at know? the at the peak of his career there yeah. I could see how that well see I see I feel the same way not in a, in a personal way but like I watched the uh, you know bits and pieces of the concert for Sandy and there I had real moments where I was watching performers of of you know the like the who and 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 the stones and stuff and there was part of me that's sort of like ah, maybe it's time to kind of maybe sit down yeah I didn't see much of that was it not well no it was, it was fine but you know they're, they're sort of limited to being sort of uh, karaoke machines of themselves yeah. uh, in order to to placate this this huge audience and, and it was for a good cause but yeah. you know I'm a Stones guy I won't you know I won't go see the Stones without Bill and I, I'm not that interested in when it's not the full band uh, but but there there's a there there's a vulnerability to somebody getting older that if they don't honor that uh, they might make a fool out of themselves. Well, you know, rock and roll is a young man's game for starters. I know that everybody, everybody knows that. So I don't know what 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 are those people supposed to do? They still, I mean, Keith Richards is still as rock and roll as anybody. And I don't have the answer for what you're saying. I, I agree. But I do you think the they could thing. benefit from from you know sitting down in a room and just stripping it down? And you know, I mean, like that's what I wonder. It's like, okay, why can't Mick uh, maybe sit down and sing? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, he still jumps around better than most guys all half, right, half all right. my age. Yeah, as long as they want to, as long as they can. Uh, and they do it better than, I mean, I know they take a lot of ribbing for it, but they do it better than most. I've seen some of the clips. I saw that clip of Bill Bill Wyman joining them recently. Did you see that? No. Yeah, at, uh, in London just like last month. He was got it up great? and played. Yeah, it was great. It's great to see them all together, right? It was. Yeah. It had that thing, and there's just there's no denying it. it's It's the Stones. Well, in the same way, I mean, how do you feel about your old man? His work now. Well, his thing is, you know, it's it's not. Uh, we talk about this the show. You're talking about the records. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about like I've seen him. I saw him once in uh, Bumper Shoot, and then I saw him. I can't remember. I saw him once at the Will Turn. But it it, it seems to me that you know he is gonna. That's the way he's gonna go out. That he just wants to stay up there and 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 be a troubadour. And and the music is still great. Yeah. Well, he and he never said otherwise. He's just doing what he always did. Right. You know. And um. Do you like the new music? It's great. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's, you know, uh, what he's really doing for everybody else is just setting the example because no one knows. Yeah, you know, no one knew what, what people was going to happen to guys in bands and the. Well, no one knew you'd even have a job. Right, we're talking 40, 50 years ago. Right, do this for a little bit and then get a get a real job. And for <laughs> a lot just of people, it just money. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it just kept going and going. And um, you know, I suppose for the Rolling Stones in that generation, going into the eighties when they were going into their forties, like no one knew. Like this is gotta be how much longer can you do this we're 40 you know so now it's all these years later obviously there are no rules and, right you know but it, it depends on the, you know, the material you have you know his records don't really depend on the same kind of show that you're talking about that may not be so conducive to guys getting or his even, or even trying to compete in a pop music realm yeah people don't go to hear his songs because they're attached to the specific moment when they or the recording a lot of those other guys who talk about the rolling stones and What's Elton John? Those guys made like perfect records, and people want to hear those records, and they want to see them look hopefully similar to, yeah. to those records. Right. But his records, you know, that they don't have the same kind of production value, and they don't have this. They're not locked in time. It's the songs that really have have traveled. Not not so much the recordings. Right. So he can do them any way he wants. Right. Which is kind of amazing, right? 
it's totally unique. Yeah, and like in terms of like you know, you're talking about people going to to Rick or uh, or to uh, T Bone to to sort of like you know desperately kind of reinvent themselves or, or or get a new perspective. It seems that you must have grown up, you know, seeing you know right in the in as a child seeing your father go through several different phases or different inventions of himself. Did you did it ever strike you as a, a gimmick or just an element of his personality or personalities? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of that, but not, none of it ever seemed contrived to me. I mean, no right. one asked me my opinion at the time. I just <laughs> saw one record go to the next record and yeah. it was very organic. Yeah. I mean, he might've been up to something else that I wasn't aware of, but, um, but that's, yeah, I, I, I you know, he, his thing is he, just, if he had to be simple about it, I think he just follows his nose. I think that that's probably something everybody should do more often Yeah, instead of being so calculated. And, you know, those records you're talking about, the people, they're going back to, to unreinvent their new selves and go back to the, like the moment that they think really mattered to people most. And the only reason you really do that is because you're unsatisfied with the way people are thinking about you now. So you right. want to retreat. Right. But not everybody feels like retreating just because people don't like your new records, your new sound. Like you can just still keep going forward. You don't have to go backwards. Right. That's what I don't think is great about those records you're talking about. I don't think it's a great idea uh, to take people backwards to a moment in time that connected with everybody. I just can't, don't see how that would feel good. Well, you'd be well in in some ways. You just how is that different than those? Um, like there was that period of time where you see all these bands from the '50s and '60s just going out in these revival tours, you know, just specifically to play their hits as close as yeah. possible, even if there's only one member of the band yeah. that's still in the band, and it just becomes sad. Yeah, but I'll contradict myself because I like those shows reviews. You know, you got a couple songs in your back pocket that people like, whether you're in the Drifters or right. Coasters. Sure. Just play them. Yeah, it's just music. <laughs> people overthink it. It's just music. That guy's, whoever you know, you might be talking about, he's got to work too. Right. No, I You know what I mean? Just, he's got sure. a couple songs that people love. Well, so yeah, go sing them. Okay. All right. That's how I feel. All right. But, yeah, but I guess that sort of removes it from, like, there's a difference between a band that's known for two hits and a band that's known as as a god, or they have a whole mythology built around them by their public. Uh, yeah. You know, like if a band, like if, if you're a band and, and people just know the song, they're not even sure who you are. It's just the Drifters or, yeah. or whoever. Uh, they just want to hear that song, The Platters. There's three or four songs that are great. And maybe Clyde McFadder was right. a, was was somewhat of a myth. But still, it's just, you know, stand by me and let's get out of here. Bring up yeah. the next crew. Well, you know, some, not everybody's here to do the same job. Some people here are role players and they're on the front lines and that, that's their purpose is they can do one or two moments, right. one or two songs. Not right. everybody is going to change the world and have a 40, 50 year career. Yeah. Only, only Bruce Springsteen gets to be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> only the Stones get to be the Stones. And then there's everybody else. I mean, that's what. Yeah. It's okay to not be. <laughs> it's okay to not be, you know, the valedictorian like, or, you know, but this sounds like prom something. king every year. Not everybody wants to. But you've wrestled with this. Have I wrestled with it? I mean, the, well, the realization of it. Well, I just I do know that there's. Uh, well, yeah, I do, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the reality, and so I'm just. I guess what I'm suggesting is like some people they have a, that's they might have a moment, but maybe that's all they were here to do, and they were never the idea that they're supposed to sustain that level of excitement or success or creativity beyond that short, brief amount of time. It's not everybody's function, right. but I do know that a lot of those people feel the endless pressure that, that that's what they were supposed to do. Because they did it once. From Just personal get, experience. Yeah, people like, yeah, of course, from being a music fan and, you know, I mean, there's th th an artist isn't any less an artist because he didn't, uh, wasn't able to stretch it out for 40 years. No, of course not. But I mean, the real struggle in the culture we live in now or, or, or in having that moment and feeling that moment yeah. is, is how do you accept what you're saying as somebody who's an observer? You know, if you're the artist and you've had your one moment, you're like, fuck, man, we're it. 
Let's yeah. do it. We, let's make some more moments. And yeah. it just doesn't happen. I mean, that can be a sad fucking journey of humility. That's right. It just depends on what you're, what, what it is you want. I mean, if that's what you want. Most people don't do that. Most people don't have long, successful careers. Right. You know, so if that's what you're demanding or desiring, it's gonna, it'll be really hard. Being successful once is not that hard. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a, a, you know, sort of a few things have to come it together. It takes a lot of things, to, but it can happen. It can be random. It can be from a lot of work. It can be really calculated. Well, let's talk about yours because I remember, like, when I was in L.A. the first time, I mean, you sort of defined that kibitz room scene, that there was something going on that you seemed to be at the cutting edge of. Wait, I mean, what was it? Like, the what years were that? Was that, like, uh, 80? That, that's, like, 92. Yeah. 91, 92. Like it was like Cantor's had opened that bar. I mean, it was barely open when you guys started playing there, right? Well, you know, the funny thing, we never actually even played there as a band. Really? Yeah, we used to go there and we used to play with lots of other bands. And that's all, that was, uh, it was, that was, it wasn't a rule, but that's why we went there. Our friends' bands went there and we just jammed. We played cover songs. No one really played their own songs. And it was, uh, every, you know, Cantor's, you know, I mean, I don't know what year you came out here, but that, it's been there f forever. No, the the, yeah. the deli has, but I remember yeah. the bar. The Kibitz Room, too, actually. And it had gone through cycles. When, when we were going there a lot, it had turned, it, well, over the course of this, a month or two, it turned into a really busy nightclub because bands were in there playing. It's a little place. But that but that wasn't the first time that happened. That right. had happened, in the, I believe, like in the 70s and 80s, too. Oh, really? Because it always had a piano back there. Yeah. So we weren't the first ones to do that. We right. just, you know, we were doing it then. Um, and truthfully, we didn't play there long. We must have been there for only a few months because then we started making our first record and we were out. So you got is that where you guys started uh, playing out together, though? Like, even if it wasn't as a band, is that where you sort of found, you know, your groove? Uh, yeah. You know, it, it was, you know, this is L.A. at that point. It was a lot of pay to play, you yeah. know, which you know, I'm sure you know what that is, where you had to, you had to buy the, t the, the tickets from the venues anywhere oh, really? from 600 bucks or 800 bucks. Oh, do, really? Yeah, and then responsibility is yours. They give you a big roll of tickets. Yeah. And you make your money back or you don't, they don't care. Right. So and we did but they got to make their money. Yeah, yeah, they've made their money. Right. So we did it one time and it was a disaster. Really? Yeah, we lost all the money and we realized the pay to play wasn't going to be a good idea for us. Because yeah. you have to, you know, I always thought it was a humiliating trip there to like go out and call your friends, beg them to come to your show, and I need 12 bucks. Right. We weren't great at that, so <laughs> so you, you know? just took the hit. So yeah, the guys. Yeah, so you're gonna imagine your friends like. So you want me to get out when they come to your show for twelve bucks? You want, want you want me to watch you screw around a guitar with your yeah. band? Yeah, and then what? <laughs> what, what, so do what, get? <laughs> what do I get? What do I get? What kind of friendship yeah. is this? So we ended up playing at a deli. So the first album was that wasn't the big album. No, the first album was ninety two. Yeah, and who was uh, who was playing on that? Just you guys? That was just us. And then the second album was with a different label? Uh, yep. First album was with Virgin Records, and the second one we'd move over to Interscope. And that was the big one? That's one where everybody seemed to take notice, yeah. <laughs> and you had some cool players on there, right? Some guys that showed up to play with you? Was it who was it? Was it Ben Montench who played with the... No, we uh, Mike Campbell from Heartbreakers. Mike Campbell, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, we'd, we'd been in a... The band had shifted around during the time of the first record, the second record... Uh, while we were moving along and making advances in some places, you know, the band was also simultaneously falling apart, and the drummer had left, which was a, which was great, you know, and uh, it gave us an opportunity to have someone else play with us. But we were, we were in the studio when these things were happening. That's why we have on that record. There's a a great drummer who played with us, um, and then the reason you like Mike Campbell from guitar uh, from the Heartbreakers, our guitar player had left right at the beginning of the record too. So we were what, how did, starting. What? How the fuck did people? Well, do you know that? what? Because it was just everything was kind of going up to a higher level. We were getting 
more, you know, people change. Everybody, that's like a crucial time and some guys just change their mind. Yeah, I know, but you like know? why, like I, what I don't understand is when you got a good thing going, like there are great bands and then all of a sudden everybody starts falling apart right when the right when the shit gets hot. I mean, I don't understand that. All well, I don't know that it was really hot yet. I don't know that anybody, bands are complicated we, and there was just, you know, people were some of the group, some guys in the group were better than others. And right. That was becoming really obvious. What, some you, guys, musician wise? Yeah. Okay. And desire was changing. Right. So, you know, these problems just usually work themselves out. Right. They usually you right. Know, have a way of just arriving right when you need them most. And we couldn't have made the record we made with the band that went into the studio. It had to fall apart to put these other people in place to make the record we made. So it was a, a good, it was, it was, uh, it happened for a reason. Oh, yeah. But I think when we, at the time, we knew that too. Right. That it was. And but, but were relationships destroyed? Did you no longer talk to those dudes? Is it one uh, of those things and that kind of One of the guys I've never spoken to since. Uh, because of you or him? Well, actually, he left. He wasn't even fired. So, uh-huh. um, so he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder? What I don't know. You? You don't know. I, he probably does about me. Yeah. But uh, he chose to be in someone else's band at the wrong time, and that's not my problem. <laughs> He'd probably like a do-over. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to give the person a name or anything. It doesn't matter. No, right. It's just yeah. you, can, you can Google that. I don't want to yeah. give it any more. Those who are interested can do the math. Yeah. Uh, and then actually, uh, the guitar player that I started the group with, uh, he was getting frustrated at that point because um, everything was just get going up to a, a stakes were getting higher and uh, he, he was the person I started the group with and that was complicated and I, I am still friendly with him okay now that album was so huge I mean it was, there was like fucking amazing songs on there and, and the world seemed to think so so that must have felt fucking great it feels better when they don't think so <laughs> I tell you that. <laughs> yeah, they seem to like it. But after that record, I mean, you know, and after riding that record out, you know, what, you know, when you made the next record, I mean, what, how did that feel? I mean, do you feel like well, you were chasing something? I'm just getting back to yeah. what you were talking about and sort of like that idea of, of, of being mature and, and realizing your place as an artist and buffering that disappointment or and, and, and putting things into perspective. Yeah, I don't know that I would, I mean, I, you know, careers are difficult, but what we did on that record, um, you know, at some point, I felt like it was, it, I wasn't even a part of it. It had just gone on. I mean, it didn't feel like me. Right. What the, the places and the situations the band had gotten into, you know, a tremendous amount of it was, was, most of it was all terrific. Yeah. But I didn't have any interest afterwards. I had no idea that I was, no one told me I was supposed to do that again every year. No I didn't. I didn't know that was the point. I didn't know that I had to. I already did it once. Am I supposed to do that again every year? Have you listened to, to, to bands repeat themselves over and over again? Well, just the success of it was so... I mean, bands, bands don't do that anymore. That's You're talking about you know the mid-1990s when the record business and radio was at a certain point that things like that could happen. Right. So that, that quickly changed, and bands don't do that kind of thing anymore. Yeah. You know, bands won't sell... won't be a dozen rock bands this year selling 10, 10 million copies of records and right. being everywhere in the grocery store and the radio. And But there was pressure for you to do that, though? Uh, no, there wasn't pressure. I didn't think it could be done again. Right. So, so how did that change your disposition? You were just sort of like, all right, well, that's that. Let's just make another record and do the one we want and see what happens. Um, no, I don't think we went in to make the fo- the following record. I don't think we went in with any ideas other than to make a great record. I mean that sincerely. No, ba- I don't mean that as in we're going to ignore expectations. I just don't think I was aware what the expectations might be. Yeah. I was excited to make another record and I thought I knew how to write songs better at that point. And I thought that people were listening now and that was an opportunity. Yeah. Which I didn't know anybody was going to be listening before that. Uh-huh. You know, bands make those first records that, that break and then you suddenly realize that people are going to listen to what you're saying. Right. So you, that'll throw your head for a bit of a loop at some point. Yeah. 
so that's what I was wrapped up in was this whatever it was I was writing for the next record, which was Breach, was uh, somebody's going to hear these. Yeah, right. Somebody will. <laughs> yeah, they're going to. I didn't know that before. They're going to give it a spin. Yeah. 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 And I thought the band had gotten better. I mean, I thought that the band was playing better and I thought that, uh, you know, there weren't songs on the record that we're going to do what the previous one had done. It just wasn't the same kind of record. And right. it wasn't intentional. I wasn't playing any artistic card. I wasn't caught up in that stuff. I'm just doing writing and recording the way it feels good. But you weren't looking for hooks or, you, you know. I, as a songwriter, I always am. Yeah. You know, but as I'm not sitting in there imagining what would or wouldn't go on the radio. I mean, I have no idea. Right. And now, like, not knowing, obviously, your your family dynamics or, you know, you know, whatever goes on between your mom and your dad. I mean, was there... A point of reference for you in 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 what you grew up in, at least in terms of of writing songs, and in terms of dealing with music, and in terms of you know touring and that kind of shit. Were there any moments where you were like, you know, I better call my old man? <laughs> what for advice or something? Yeah. You know, you know, sure for business stuff I could, but yeah. you know, the rest of it is, uh, I don't really think there is. You know, I don't really give any advice either. Like, I don't know. I mean, what's to give advice about? I get on a bus, I go, I play shows, and then I get back on the bus, I go to a hotel room. What? Well, I mean, that's really kind of don't don't get fucked up. You know, put on a good show. Try to give the people what they want. There's a lot of advice that can be. Those passed. are great, right there. You just actually wrapped them all up. <laughs> that's really all there is. <laughs> that's really all there is. Don't screw up, and uh, you know, just be be aware of the people who spend time and uh, just come see you. Be respectful. Of that I believe that's true. Other than that, like take care of yourself. But in terms of like, uh, you know, being, you know, a kid and being on the Rolling Thunder review, I mean, you must have saw some shit. Um, I yeah, mean, that, that I mean, was, I was pretty young. I was like, I was five or so. I mean, yeah. I, did I, like, what do you mean? Like, well, did anything resonate? I mean, that was like the sort of the end of the dirty hippie era. And <laughs> you know what I mean? That was yeah, like, but it's a different world, a different time. You know, we went on those tours. We didn't have nannies and that kind of stuff. We were just told to be on the bus by 11. Just wander around the ground. That's it. We, we really did. Yeah. We were self-sufficient. Yeah. Uh, there was, I mean, forget about a nanny. It certainly wasn't a nanny per kid like they do now. And, you know, leashes on the kids and buses for the babies. Like, we didn't do any of that kind of but stuff. But there was, a, I imagine, somewhat of a communal atmosphere. There was a lot of people yeah, sure. around. You know, like, I mean, wasn't Ginsburg around at that time? Yeah. And, like, uh, Sam Shepard was there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and there was a, and he, you know, your dad was wearing makeup. <laughs> and it was, like, quite an event. Yeah, it was, um, well, I mean, people love that now. I mean, that's what bands left and right are trying to put together, quote unquote, Rolling Thunder review style shows. And, you know, good luck. I don't think they really, it's not about the bands. It's about something else. That's not really what made that time special. What do you think did? Well, it was the spirit. It was the first time it was being done. It was a free fall. What was the he, music what, was great. I mean, what was the idea of it? Just sort of have a traveling carnival almost? I suppose. A, I don't really know what the... I don't know that it was that contrived. I don't really know. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that the the '60s had sort of delivered this kind of communal element, and, and I think it seems like you know your dad and some other people were at the core of that, and they just wanted to share it in a way that was proactive and not destructive. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, the best thing to do is ask. I mean, I was just going to say, ask somebody who was there. I was there. I don't have the answer. But... Well, you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so what was the choice to start? I mean, when you record solo albums, I mean, this is the Wallflowers album is the first Wallflowers album in years, right? Right. And the last two you did were your own albums. Now, what, what does that mean, really? Because, I mean, Tom Petty does that, too, and it seems like a lot of the same musicians are there. What is the choice to do it that way? Well, I make those records. If I'm, if I'm going to make a record that sounds like the new record, I'd just be with my band, be with the Wallflowers. It's a great band. It's a, you know, we have a sound and a thing and a history that's that's resonates that I certainly have a great deal to do with right 
Um, so if we're not going to be working together, my mind will start racing on this an opportunity to do lots of different things. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And the first record that I made was, wasn't really intentional. I had no intention of making that record really acoustic that way. Yeah. You know, the seeing things record that just sounds like, you know, two guitars playing. Right. And that was the Ruben record? Yeah, and that really wasn't the record that... I wasn't planning on doing that. I just kind of wound up in a situation that if I was going to finish that record, that's what it was going to have to be. Well, what well, what did Rick want? What what was this? What, I mean, how did that happen? Why was it uh, the situation? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who make records that in lieu of making choices, they do nothing. Yeah. Because that itself has a sound. <laughs> Silence has a sound, too. It does, yeah. So that record I wound up with, you know, that's where I felt was... We're not putting anything anywhere, so I guess what we're going to have is we're going to have a we're going to have a silent record, sparse, sparse, and it's <laughs> yeah. going to be you know, it just wasn't how I started, but uh, you know that's how it became it surviving getting through that record. There's just I don't know uh, without was it a bad experience? I didn't like it. Why? It just wasn't you know because I think you got to make records with people whoever it is, and they need to be at their creative peak, and they need to be they need to be as as uh, they need to be as as interested in it as insane as possible necessary to make records right and i think if you and this happens to people all the time you wind up in a situation where the record kind of gets away from you and what you're really trying to do now is just finish the record right i don't think those i don't think your chances are very good for making really terrific records in those circumstances yeah and i'm not that's a situation i ended up in which was just um you know it wasn't very creative i i like you know if i i, I like everybody in the room to be chipping in yeah and to, and to care as much as hopefully i can yeah and when, when, you, when you don't feel that it's not good and I'd rather be, you know but it just depends on what you're interested in. I, I'm, I don't need a I don't need a guru I don't need a father figure yeah. when I make records yeah you know I, I like I like everybody in the room to like talk in musical terms and like let's what are we doing here whose hands the, what, what are you going to play what do you, yeah. I mean all the, the talk doesn't do I, I, it doesn't work for and me. you felt that he was sort of positioning himself I didn't feel like I got it yeah but you should also talk to a lot of people who really think that experience is really. I mean, I just missed it. I didn't what it. working with him? Yeah. Well, that kind of real cerebral record style of making of making records. What what, do you, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by cerebral? Like there was a lot of talk of, uh, about sound. I mean, you say it's a sparse record. So what do you mean like cerebral? Well, a lot of a lot of discussion on what makes music good. Oh, okay. And I just so, so, I'm simpler than that. So he just wanted to nerd out, and you just wanted to make records. Well. I don't, you know, I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to find the correct term for it because I do, well, I do think, look, this is my experience yeah. and I think he's a terrific producer for yeah. some of the music he's made. I think is fantastic. Yeah. I just found myself without a band in a situation that wasn't feeling, I wasn't really inspired and it wasn't feeling very creative to me. And I didn't really see a way out other than to just kind of finish this record as simple as possible. And in lieu of making a lot of decisions, we'll just leave it sparse. And that in itself becomes a statement, right. <clears throat> which, you know, that's just, that's not ideal for me. And right. you talk about the other experiences with the band that's made this record, and you know it's it, full sound, man. Yeah, but if you know making it was whatever it is, like I felt that I had, I was using every bit I got when I was in there, and I, and I hope the band did themselves individually too. But that's an atmosphere, you yeah. know. One of the many jobs, the most important job of a producer, really, is to create some atmosphere in a room and a platform for artists to come in and do the best they can. Right. That's really as simple as it is. Right. You know, somewhere along the line, it became the the producers became artists. Right. And they can be. Yeah. And those can be really worthwhile records, but at their essence, really, what you're really trying to do is create space for those people to do what it is they're trying to do. And then, like, with Rick, it was like, there was too much space and it wasn't creative space. I didn't feel... Do you like inspired. any of it? Oh, I really like the... I, I do like the record. It sounds like a struggle to me when I hear it. it, it I can hear what I, what, what the... Oh, right. Well, yeah, and I, and I don't feel... 
you know, I feel like those songs when I hear them, boy, they really could use a lot more exploration. And um, do you play them live with exploration? Yeah. Oh yeah, I filled them out. You yeah. Know. Um, but you know, I say all this was saying no regrets. Sure. You're the, you're the one who's there at the time. You can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying in retrospect, you know, I thought there was a little too much pressure put on the songs. And that doesn't, the song is not, it's the key and it's the important thing as they say, or it's the, you know, song is king or whatever, all those things they say. But, yeah. um, but there are, there should be other things too. Right. It doesn't have to be only the song. <laughs> right. And that's how I felt when making that record was like, geez, like, can I even get a background? Any, like anything here. To... Do you think he was trying to make you your dad? No, I don't think he's, yeah, yeah, I don't really know that he knows that music. I don't really know if that's what the point was. You know, because like I, I just wonder because there were so many of those records that that he did that were just stripped down to nothing. Not for many, many years, really. Yeah, you know, he did that for a very short time. People forget stand, yeah. with the acoustic guitar stand, and it was a brief, brief moment. Yeah, but, um, you yeah. know, it does. It, it it's not a trick that works for everybody. To, yeah. to put people, I mean, making having people sit alone and be completely exposed and vulnerable is not great for everybody. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't great for me. I'm just saying it's not. You can't do no, it for I, everybody. I, it's I, not. It's yeah, not no, effective for everybody. Well, you know, because it seems to me that what you see in it, just in talking about Johnny Cash, is like you know, like yeah, that, that, that that's not the way that guy's supposed to be. That's not what. That's not who that guy is. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to see them fragile. You well, what I yeah. Well, right. I mean, I don't know that in his state that he was aware of what it looked like for people who admired him so much right and i don't know when you were put in the position by by rick to to be fragile and vulnerable you were uncomfortable as well because i don't feel fragile and vulnerable yeah you know I, i'm aware i i didn't it doesn't really you know look i'm glad i did it because i think everybody i think you you should i think it's completely exposed and it is transparent it is what it is and i think it's uh if i hadn't done it then maybe eventually i would at some point um i don't know that i wrote the songs that were best suited for that approach because i wasn't planning on making that kind of record at the time uh, but it became about just at some point getting through the record. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> the record's, you know, it's meant a lot to a lot of people. So I'm not, yeah, you know, but when I hear, I just hear myself entirely only. So it's different for me, but it's meant yeah. a lot to a lot of people. So I wouldn't, I'm not stepping on that at all. And the uh, Women in Country record, who produced that? that that's was T-Bone. That's T-Bone. And what brought you together with uh, Case and, and some of the her people? You know, T-Bone and I just brainstormed with who were the best who was the best singer out there when we, there's a lot of holes left on the record for background vocals and she was she was she was the only person on our list, Nico. That was it. Yeah, that was it. I mean, she's special. She just got something that, you know, we could already tell that. She, and that record was very cast, and it was. I, I looked at that record very much as a, as a performance and as a, as a almost as a, as a play to some degree. It was, um, you know, and I, I that's that that, that record had... could be performed as a. It could be on stage. I mean, as a whole record. Yeah, oh, okay. it's, right. it's a. It is a very thematic record and. Um, what what would the play be about? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, I I I use a very specific dialogue and language in that record, and it was the time, you know, that's the recession was just really crushing everybody at the time. Yeah, and we were just beginning to see, for a lot of people, we were just starting to see a new normal that was yeah. about to come. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, but I, I didn't want to write that in, in in modern language, so I'd use language and words that I thought were more suited, almost more for Dust Bowl or the Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, was, once it get once it got moving and it, it exposed itself, and I could figure out how to write the rest of it. And I did feel like I was writing something that could be on stage. Oh, and you never thought it, you never. Well, someone's got to ask me, right? <laughs> can I do that myself? Yeah, I can do that myself, right? Yeah, of course you can. I think I think it'd be interesting. You could do it over at Largo, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just get my friends come out while. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you kidding? If you if you approach Flanagan at Largo to do say, like the stage production, I don't mean like perform the songs. I mean like get actors and do. Oh, it. you you want to make a play? Yeah, I want to make a play. Oh, I I thought you you thought that the the music itself had a feeling of a, a continuity of it a does. singular performance that you wanted to perform in a certain way as an album. No, I want to do a play. Okay, well, well you know anybody? Sure, you want you, can, you, <laughs> you to write your play. I need someone to help me write it, and then I'm going to need uh, probably about 12 actors. All right, well, uh, believe me. I need I, costumes. Look, by the, if if this airs, it, which it will, and uh, I will get emails, and okay. I'll forward you. Uh, Two. You know what I, really, I need a good lighting director, most important. Dude, the the emails will come in. Man. <laughs> right. You're gonna be uh, you're gonna be producing a play soon. I, okay, let's do it. Oh God. All right, but uh, all right. Well, look. Um. It would. I just. Uh, I don't know why I keep uh, pressing it because I imagine that you've you've learned to deflect it. Uh, Give me another one. Come on. What do you got? I don't have anything really, other than for some reason. <laughs> do you, have you ever covered your old man's songs? No. Why? Uh. Well, you know, I'll do anything for enough money, but like, for I'm not going to be a freak for anybody, and I'm not going to so help that's anybody. You feel. Yeah, I'm not going to help anybody relive something, like squint their eyes and imagine it's some other year. Like, I'm not into it. No, but yeah, if I it mean, was for a great, a great, I mean, you want to pay me a ton of money or get a great organization or something that had a real purpose, and you know, someone wants to front because it'd be a freak show for people. So okay, so that your 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 policy is just to avoid the expectation of that and to just sort of like the, not... you know my my policy is to avoid the feel that I would get from lo- seeing people look at me doing that. Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, it's just the bizarre. Kid. Yeah, that's you know the whole thing is far too cute and uh, uh, uncomfortable feeling for me. I'm not going to help anybody relive that moment. It's you know it's, here's where we are, and then I do something different. Right. But as a as a songwriter, do you have uh, you know pieces of his that you're like holy fuck that were sort of templates in your mind at least? Just as oh a- yeah, every guy sitting in this chair that comes in here who plays music, those are all templates. I mean, it's all the it's all the rule book, and I know it as well as nearly everybody and i have access to i got questions i can get them answered um by him yeah sure yeah i mean and i would never uh you know i would never i would never even suggest what those answers might be because i'm just fortunate to have it and it's unique for me and, and i'm glad about that and if right. you want to share with everybody else i'm sure you would right so I, I consider it confidential if he shares it with me right right the the like structural questions or magical questions about uh, about uh, songwriting yeah yeah, we've had we've had countless discussions about it, and you know a lot of it's really helpful. A lot of it, you know, <laughs> does it make sense? Well, a lot of it doesn't. Do- well, you know what it is? It's songwriting. It's really hard to give anybody advice sure. on songwriting. I can tell you, here's your two verses, here's your rhyme scheme. Mm-hmm. But you know, guys who write like that, they don't really know how they're doing it. Sure, it's it, just, it just happens to them, right? It, 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 they're possessed. Yeah, they're you know I used to not really love that thought about you know people say that they're channeling something, but I, I kind of have changed my mind on that. I think certain people. They just kind of do. They just are more receptive. Mm-hmm. They work upstream and they grab all the good stuff before most people can. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what that. If it's that's, that's just it's a combination of melody that occurs to them. It's a combination of the words. Uh, it's the voice. It's it's all of it that you know. That's just why some people are just simply better than others. People hate to admit that. They like to really think that they can just work really hard and be as good as Neil Young. Sure. But you won't. <laughs> you will not. It's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, have there been uh, has, like have there been moments where you're talking to him and you're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> not really. <laughs> about no, not really. No, that's good. I have the shorthand. I know, <laughs> I know what it means. <laughs> right. 
you know, because I, uh, you know, I read that his book, you know, the autobiography, and there's a good thirty or forty pages in there where he talks about these three chords that uh, were some magical combination of something. Yeah, you know, where it's a little, like I get it, but uh, you know, like I, I like that he's talking about the number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that is confusing that theory. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm sure he believes it. If anybody could figure out how to do that, it would be, you know. <laughs> there might be a riddle in there somewhere, but I'm sure he's right. There's a lot of riddles, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what's uh, what what songs? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. What's what? Which songs do I like? Yeah, that's where you're going. I can see that. Well, what I mean, it has to. I mean, I don't want to be asking you hackneyed questions. Yeah. You, you know, know what? Truthfully, I uh, is there a period? You know, I, there's periods that I remember well, so I have an affinity for them. 70s from, from being uh, you know yeah being able to be being around when they were being made um but no there isn't uh they're also they're also wildly different i mean i mean i don't know if anybody really has a favorite era of his period because it's you know unlike most people it's not i like that era because those songs were better i mean there's millions of reasons to like those different eras that he did but uh, you know I re- the, the stuff that i re- recall being around for has special value to me the early 70s late 70s stuff yeah, you know, before the religious thing. No, th- those records—they're good. Yeah, slow train coming. Those are great. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know of really any bad records. Empire Burlesque was a little difficult, but <laughs> I like that record a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a good record. I heard, a, I heard one of those songs just now on the way here. Which was, radio. which was the song? Which was the one that he did wrote with Sam Shepard? What, what album was that on? That's the, uh, Brownsville Girl. Yeah, and what's the album? That's Knocked Out Loaded. Yeah, that one was a little. Tricky. I love that one too. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get me to say I don't like one. No, I'm not trying to. <laughs> all the time in the world. Keep coming. I'll be here. I'll be here all night. I'm not trying to confront you on anything. <laughs> now, in terms of like, do you, like you seem a slightly mystical bent to things. Um, when he was when you were uh, I don't know you know where you lived or who with, but when he was going through all his questing religiously, I mean, did that sort of like shake you at all? I mean, where do you stand with that spiritual business? No, that was never. Uh, was I? What was the word to use? Was Which, I shook? Yeah, well, was yeah. I? I mean, I don't know how you were brought up religiously or, or what, like you know. But it's a sort of a dramatic change when somebody in your family decides to become Christian and focus on that. Uh, was it prominent or put well, on you in any way? No, it, it didn't define me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just like was it in the house? Was Jesus? Now, around. see, that's probably what I wouldn't. You know, see that people. There's so much speculation on what actually happened there. I wouldn't okay. clarify. I and mean, people have taken that ball and run with it and, and assumed so I, I much. No idea. I mean, those yeah. records that you're talking about. I mean, the, you know, they don't. The, anybody can listen to those records. Absolutely. You know, they don't. They're not. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not demanding in any in nope. any way. I don't believe. No. Nope. Um, but that I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's uh, that. You know, he said whatever he's wanted to say about that stuff. I wouldn't add any comments to. What well, I mean, what, like. where do you stand in, like, in in terms of uh, of the unknown there, with uh, spiritual business? Where do I stand with it? Yeah, that is so broad. Where I... Well, I mean, you seem to have a good sense of like things happening for a reason, and and this happened for a reason, and you know, there's uh... that's a lazy man's perspective. All right, I've been called lazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well. Yeah, I don't know. Is there? A, I'm sure what the question. Am well, I spiritual? Well, I mean, what's your belief system? Were you brought up Jewish? Um, you know, yeah, I was. Yeah, predominantly Jewish. Still am. Yeah, 
And uh, bar mitzvah, whole business. I have. Yep, I sure did. Yeah. Me and too. speaking of all that, I have a birth. I have a bar, bar mitzvah card from June and Johnny Cash. Do you? Yep. Yeah. Got it at home. Sweet. That's sweet. And you have kids too, right? I do. And they're are they bar mitzvah age yet? Um. Yeah, we're they're not going to be doing that. No, they can do it at any time, I suppose. But we didn't we didn't force it. Not on. And not on. You're not going to push it on the big party and the. No. No. Was yours? Uh, big, not to. Was yours a big deal? Um, did you have a party? Yeah, I had a party. You know, yeah. I remember like most kids at that age. Like part of what's really what they're stoked about is they're, they're hearing about their friends making all this money at these bar mitzvahs. <laughs> you know, so that they, they convince themselves well, that's going to be great. I don't know about all the stuff I got to memorize and you know. Yeah, I don't know how much they really taught me at thirteen. I, I couldn't, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of times they're just, they're just shoveling you, th- shoving you through it to, to school and get you bar mitzvah. And it's it's important, of course, you, you know, the Hebrew school. Yeah, it's you know, but uh, I recall people making like so much, so much kids making all this money and bragging about it at school. Maybe they were lying. Yeah, but I remember kids coming to school saying like the next weekend, like I made seventy thousand dollars. Oh my god, that's what I thought. So yeah. this is this would be pretty good. I mean, yeah, this yeah. I can get through this yeah. next week because I'm going to be so guitars. I'm going to be so rich. Yeah, yeah, is if I get it anyway, like it's coming to me. <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, I was wildly disappointed. I think the number I had was something like twelve. Yeah, yeah. I guess it all depends on uh, yeah who comes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who the invites are out or out to. Yeah. You like the ha- the Hanukkah candles and stuff? Do you do that business? We usually do that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I didn't light any this year, and I felt bad about it. It's do- it's over, right? I missed yeah, one. you missed it. Missed the window. You missed it. Yeah. So this record, in terms of uh, sound and songwriting, it's uh, it it doesn't sound like other Wallflowers, really. It's a little more rocky, isn't it? Do you feel rocks a little harder? Yeah, it, you know, that could be one way to describe it. We just came with a lot of energy having not played together for seven years. And uh-huh. We just didn't feel like there was a lot of time to waste playing mid-tempo things and slow. And we have, we have plenty of those for days. Our yeah. records are filled up with lots of that material. So, you know, this really just started in, in the studio where we rehearsed and we just, you know, we just made songs there together as, you know, as we did when we were starting out. You know, things change along the way. You find different ways of making music and... We'd, I'd gone down there with with the very distinct idea that I know one thing for sure is that we need to start we need to be in the room together playing like I don't really think I need to come down here with 15 finished songs and mm-hmm. instruct everybody what to do right let's just get in the room and bang things around until yeah. songs start to develop right and that doesn't mean anything towards being hasty with songwriting because the song you can't not every, you can't just do that you can't songs are really important a lot of, since technology's kind of helping right now a lot of people are making these great sounding records but they're forgetting to spend some time with writing the songs yeah you know they're using really uh familiar grooves and right tones and sounds yeah and it's it's all there but the song's just kind of not quite there so I, I wouldn't overlook that i just had gone with a lot of lyrics I, i'd gone with all the lyrics necessary to have a record but i just hadn't really fine-tuned what the songs would be and then you, you got with the guys and they, yep they sort of evolved yep well it's a good record man and like thank you for uh for talking Got anything sure. else on your mind? Um, Need give directions. Me a minute. Need directions? <laughs> <laughs> you know where you're going. Thank God for the GPS or whatever it is I got now. I imagine I was I imagine the old days if I'd had this written down on a piece of paper. Yeah, uh, no. I mean, we used to be able to do that. It was yeah. We were equipped. We didn't know any better. I'm a little concerned that because of all the convenience that we're not using the parts of our memory that will uh, continue to serve us. I, I think there was something about well, how many phone numbers do you know right now? None. I know I, a couple. 
kind of small. Remember how many you used to know? Yeah, you used to know a lot. You had a lot in there. Yeah, sure. And like, you know, when you went somewhere, you like take a left at the gas station, take a right at the, you know, yeah. the car there. And, and you, you know, you communicated with somebody else. And now you I wasn't paying attention when we walked back here. I'm going to use my GPS just to get back to my car. <laughs> I'll, walk <That's> <laughs> I'll walk you out, man. You'd be so kind. Yeah. And uh, look, I hope you find that Telecaster. Yeah, I mean, I'll find it. All right, buddy. Well, that's that. I think that went pretty well. Uh, yeah, that, I do. I it, it was actually a pleasure to talk to him. We had a nice chat after uh, the actual interview took place, and uh, I brought him in and I made him listen to ZZ Top on my uh, on my new stereo. It was kind of funny because uh, he's allergic to cats, so he had to listen to ZZ Top standing out in front of my house <laughs> through the screen door. Uh, but but I, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, go to WTF Pod for all your WTF Pod needs. All my tour dates are up there for the Out of the Garage tour. You can go to LiveNation.com or Ticketmaster.com and also, you know, pick up those tickets. Find out if I'm going to be uh, near you. Uh, I'm very excited about it. And also this weekend, I will be in Raleigh, North Carolina, at Good Nights on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th. I will be there. Okay. We good? All right. Boomer lives!